Take your Bibles to the book of Psalms. We'll find our psalm this evening in Psalm 127. Uh, I guess it was now two weeks ago I preached a message entitled Entrusted. And really what we talked about was how God had entrusted us with the gospel. And he had entrusted us with a certain realm of people who we could influence with the gospel. And tomorrow you're going to come in contact with folks that I may never meet in my life, but God has entrusted you to be the witness that you ought to be for Him in that particular area. And so we spoke about God entrusted us with the most important thing that He had on this earth. Uh, The most important thing He did was not that He came and kind of taught people how to live a good life. You know, morality existed uh, even before Jesus came to the earth. There were good people that did not, uh, before Jesus came and taught us how to live well. Um, And uh, Jesus didn't come to teach people uh, how to fish or what side of the boat to fish on. No, he taught them. uh, The reason he came, the Bible says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to reach and win sinners. And then he gave us that responsibility. He gave us the Great Commission Go ye therefore, the Bible says. And the Bible says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And so we now have been entrusted with the most important message that the Lord has. And so I'm just going to continue this thought, not necessarily about the gospel, but the Lord has entrusted us with some other responsibilities. Uh, Not too dissimilar to how uh, Joseph, probably one of my favorite Bible characters, was entrusted on two different occasions with huge responsibilities. You'll recall that he was entrusted in Potiphar's house. There was not a thing in Potiphar's house that was not left under his control. In fact, I guess it would be three different occasions because while he was a prisoner in the prison, have you ever heard that, the inmates running the prison? Well, Joseph did that. And he actually helped run the prison and the operations of the prison. And then when he got to actually serve uh, Pharaoh, he was second in command only to Pharaoh as he oversaw Egypt. Not too dissimilar to that, Joseph had been made a steward for, uh, for Pharaoh, for Potiphar, and for the prison keeper. We have been made stewards of the home that God has put us in. See, someone once said that, Uh, Anyone can build a house, but not just anyone can build a home. And I believe that. I also believe that you cannot build a home without God be a part of it. Psalm chapter 127, the Bible says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, The watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early. Can I get an amen to that? Praise the Lord. It is vain for you to rise up early. Now we can just take that out of context to make it whatever we want to, but it is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are inheritance of the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak 
with the enemies in the gate. I think if you look at this, the first phrase is probably the most important that we'll read. Except the Lord build the house. I think if you look at the whole chapter here in Psalms, you'll find that uh, the Bible is not speaking of a house. In fact, Solomon had a lot of experience building houses. In fact, he was privileged enough to build the temple of the Lord. And so he built the house of God. Uh, Solomon built a beautiful palace for himself. In fact, if you read a little bit about Solomon, the Bible says there was nothing that Solomon wanted to build that he did not build. He said he, he, he built beautiful palaces. He planted many vineyards. He, he did just about anything he wanted to. And so Solomon knew a lot about buildings. But unfortunately, Solomon didn't know much about building a home. The wisest man in all the world had over a thousand lovers, you could say. He really had one child that the Bible speaks of with any regard. We don't know of any of the other children of Solomon. And this man who was so wise and and had so many houses knew nothing about what it was to have a home. It's easy to find homes or houses here in America. You can drive down and man, we build them, uh, we kind of stack them up on top of each other. We go to some subdivisions and I think to myself, man, I'm not even sure air could get between those homes. Uh, how'd you fit that air conditioner there? Because it looks like you'd have to suck in just to go in, go through the crack between the homes. We have plenty of homes, but we do not have enough houses. When I was in college, we uh, roomed in very, very small rooms. I would say that I'm trying to find something about the size. See, our rooms were not as large as this platform here. And we had four college guys living in each of them. And so we had two bunk beds. Uh, You could arrange them however you want. And then we had two... uh, chest of drawers in the room and we kind of split those there was five and so one guy just was unlucky the way we kind of normally work that is if you were the high guy you got two drawers if you were the bottom guy you got three drawers right because uh, you had to bend down and, and I'll tell you just right up front it got extremely crowded in those rooms one of the things that we had to do was we had certain responsibilities we called them room duties that's like the upgraded, more mature version of chores, okay? Because, I mean, now we're college guys. We have room duties. And, and we would break up the labor between all the different guys staying in the room. So there's four guys, and we would have one guy that was responsible for cleaning the floor in the restroom. We had another guy that was responsible for the sink area and the mirror and the toilet. We had another guy that was responsible for vacuuming the floor. And then we had another guy that was in charge. We had like a desk area with a lamp on it. And uh, it tended to get messy because that was the only place you could set things. And so that was kind of his area. And so we broke this responsibility up between the four guys in the room. And I'll never forget one year. I was explaining to my mom, I said, Mom, every year we we struggle to get the vacuum cleaner in the mornings. I mean, we're supposed to do these room duties just about every day or so. And uh, so my mom took pity on me. You know, I can lay it on pretty thick a little bit sometimes. And she said, okay, because really we only had two vacuums for, we had a downstairs and an upstairs. There's about 
uh, we'll say 15 rooms on one wing, 15 rooms on another wing, and then they were stacked too high. And we only had two vacuums for all of those rooms. About 120 guys living in this dorm. Two vacuums. So I said, Mom, maybe, maybe we could get me a vacuum. So we went out and got me a vacuum. And I was really excited until, unfortunately, I did not get that room duty. I got the bathroom floor, but another guy in my room had the vacuum at his uh, disposal anytime he wanted. He didn't have to wake up early. He didn't have to go down the hallway so you were supposed to vacuum your room then set the vacuum outside the hallway so people knew you were done with it. He didn't have to search for it. He didn't fight over it. We had our own vacuum. It was a Eureka. I remember it was white with like neon green. It was like a race car vacuum cleaner and we had that one. We gave this young man this responsibility and I taught him how to work this vacuum the very first day. He knew how to work a vacuum, but as far as cleaning the filter, uh, dumping out the, ex- the stuff that you actually picked up, I showed him how this particular vacuum cleaner functioned and I said, all right, here's what we'll do. I'll clean this filter out and then we'll set it on the porch upstairs to let the air dry it out. And I said, just in about an hour or so, two hours, go back, get the filter, put it back in the vacuum cleaner, you can vacuum tomorrow morning. Well, it was about two weeks later, I had made a mess in the room and I was going to go clean it up. And I went to this young man and I said, hey, I was noticing that the filter's not in the vacuum cleaner. And uh, I just didn't know if you'd cleaned it out and set it back where it was. And he said, well, it's, it's still on the balcony. And I said, what do you mean it's still on the balcony? It's still on the balcony from when you cleaned it this morning? Or No, 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 it's still on the vacuum from when you showed me the other day. You mean to tell me we've had two weeks of walking on this nasty floor? I know how nasty it is. Remember, I have the tile bathroom floor. And a room full of four guys gets really, really gross. And to this day, you ask my wife, even in our home, at her home in North Carolina, everywhere... I prefer to wear sandals inside now because of the damage that this has caused me. I am traumatized. I think back over uh, over those two weeks and I think, do you know what was on the bottom of my feet? It was like I went to bed with a Chia Pet on my feet every night. And this is so traumatized to me that to this day I still wear socks or sandals in the house. You see, that that young man didn't carry his weight. He had one responsibility. He had a role in the room, and if everybody pulled their own weight, everybody would do a good job. But if one man let down on the job, guess what? Things got gross. Things didn't work out the way they should have. This evening, what we're going to look at is the roles and the duties that God has given each of us in the home. He has entrusted us with these roles and responsibilities. And I can promise you as I studied it, I'm pretty sure all of us fall short in one area or another on the roles and responsibilities that God has given us. Number one, we'll study the passage tonight in Psalm 127. But I want you to see, first of all, the Lord's building promise. Now, if you've ever dealt with a contractor of any kind and you've gotten bids or proposals from several different people, they all promise good work. But the reality is, not every contractor does good work. Uh, Some contractors get in over their head, some of them don't have the financial backing. Not everybody does what they say they'll do, but I want you to see in verse number 1, God's promise is this, except the Lord build the house. 
Now that means that God is willing to build houses. That means that you don't have to go it alone. God's promise is that he is in the home building business. And that ought to be encouraging for us because I just be honest with you, when you get two girls with attitudes and three, if you count uh, Amy, but uh, you get all those girls and you get Thomas who's growing up. I began to wonder how good of a job I'm doing at the roles and the responsibilities and stewarding the responsibilities of my home. And I'm so glad to know the Lord is willing to build my home. His promise is that he will build it. The Lord will build your house. And I think that the Lord made a pretty similar statement when he said this. And he told Peter upon this rock, and he said these words, I will build my church. Now, being in my position as pastor, I've had to study that that phrase and study that passage of Scripture. And as you study it, you begin to understand that God has surely given us responsibilities in the church. But our responsibility is not that we would grow His church. That's His responsibility. The Lord says, I will build my church. And you've got to understand, if God says, I will build your house, except the Lord build the house, you've got to understand, you certainly have roles and responsibilities, but it is not up to you to do the building. In fact, the Bible even says this uh, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Even in church work, preachers and other folks in the body of Christ, we are laboring together and the goal is that we would see sinners saved. But unless God gets involved in that work, it is over our head. We cannot convict. That is the Holy Spirit of God's job. We cannot reveal to people the Holy Scriptures. That is the Holy Spirit's job. We cannot adequately lift up the Lord Jesus and the work that He's done for us unless the Holy Spirit get involved. What is the song we sang tonight? All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One come down. And that is so true in church work. But it's true in homework as well. You cannot be the person uh, or the steward that you need to be without God's help. Now, I want to be clear. Solomon is not somehow discouraging hard work in the home. One thing that uh, Pastor White told me and my wife when we were in marriage counseling, he said, Andrew, you'll do everything wrong. And Amy, you'll probably do nothing wrong. That's kind of the main theme of it. But really what he said was, It's going to be hard work. And building a home to the glory of God is a a lot of hard work. And what I've learned is it's not hard to get along with my wife. I still like her, praise God. Getting along with my wife is not the hard part. But there are certain questions that I'm asked and certain answers that I must come up with that I don't always know what to do. That's where it gets hard. And that's right where God steps in. Solomon is not discouraging hard work or intense labor. I mean, after all, in the book of Proverbs, the Bible says, The soul of the slugger desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Also in the book of Proverbs, the Bible says, In all labor there is profit, 
But the talk of lips tendeth only to penury or extreme poverty. That's kind of the way that uh, the book of Proverbs teaches us. You can talk as much as you want, but until you start doing what you're saying you're going to do, it's not going to lead to any increase at all. In the home, it's going to take hard work. But Solomon is instead insisting that our labor is necessary, but it is not to be trusted as sufficient in and of itself. Our labor is needed. Dad, your labor is needed. Mom, your labor is needed. Teenagers, your labor is needed. But God must be the one that is to be trusted. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 17, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Jesus said it like this, For without me ye can do nothing. We cannot be the stewards that we need to be in the home unless God is involved. It's really not a lot different than the life of a farmer. I'll tell you what, I've had the privilege of knowing several farmers in my life, and they are some of the hardest working people in the world. They're always on a schedule. They're always, uh, uh, they always have to meet deadlines. You know, the seeds got to be planted by the 15th of this month. And, and, and they've got a lot of hard work to do. They've got to prepare the soil. They've got to plant the seed. Then they have to wait and harvest the seed. Many times there's fertilizing. Many times they have to uh, pierce the soil and let more oxygen and nutrients in. Sometimes they even have to add lime to the soil. I mean, there's a lot of work. And, and honestly, a lot of math that goes into being a farmer. I mean, it is hard. Hard, hard work. But there comes a point in being a farmer where it's out of your hands. I mean, think about it. You put the seed in the ground, but you can't control the rain. And even if you get the rain, have you ever talked to a farmer and they tell you how they encourage the soil to do its thing? I mean, that happens naturally. God does that. It's his process of nature, and it is only him that can do it. Farmers may do a lot of hard work, but it is God that helps the farmer. Dad, you may do a lot of hard work, but it is God that helps your work turn into something that is glorifying to Him. God promises that He will build your home. Secondly, God promises He will keep your home. Verse number 1, the Bible says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city... The watchman waketh, but in vain. And this paints to us the idea of a watchman who, while everybody else is sleeping and, and, and just doing what everyone else would do uh, throughout the night, there is one man whose responsibility is to stay up and watch over the city. Many times he'd be perched in the highest point of the kingdom and he'd be looking out over, making sure there's no enemy torches coming over the hillside. And if there is, he is to wake and alert everybody in the city. I mean, he's the watchman. But God says, unless the, uh, the, that the Lord will keep the city. And if he's not keeping the city, all the work of the watchman is in vain. All the sleepless hours... All the time when he worked himself out of not falling asleep, all of it is in vain unless the Lord keep the city. I mentioned a verse to you earlier that the Bible says that God or Jesus specifically would build his church. You know, in that same verse, the verse continues and says this, And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
Jesus not only builds his church, but Jesus guards his church. And here in Psalm 127, verse number one, we find that it is the Lord's promise that he will not only build your home, but he will guard your home. Can I get an amen? That's a blessing. And all the worrying and all the concern is in vain because if God's keeping it, we know that it is secure. You remember the story of Job, how that his children were meaning to have feasts. And when they gathered at those feasts, Job would offer a sacrifice for his children. In fact, Job's reasoning, the Bible tells us, is in case they've sinned against the Lord in their heart, Job was offering the sacrifice for them. And then we find in chapter 10 and verse number 1 of Job, the Bible says that there came a day when the sons of God presented themselves unto him, and Satan is there, and the Lord says, Hast thou considered my servant Job? And the unique thing is, Satan had already considered him. I think for the whole time, uh, Satan had been wanting to attack this man. In fact, if, if you don't know this, Job was probably the only man in the East living like that. And even if he wasn't the only man, we know that just based upon the Lord's opinion of him, he was the best man at the time. And, and the Lord's question is, has thou considered my servant Job? And Satan says, huh, yeah, I've thought about him. In fact, Satan goes on to say this, Hast not thou made an hedge of, about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side. The Lord had built a hedge of protection around Job and his family. Why? Because Job was working for that. Job was praying for that. And Satan could not attack his family without God's removal of that hedge of protection. All you see these days on TV, it seems, is a commercial for cars... It's amazing to me how many car commercials there are. Uh, all you, you also see uh, food commercials. And then we found out the other day that insurance commercials seem to be more prevalent than ever. I mean, you'll watch it for five seconds. There's a Geico commercial, then an Allstate commercial. And, and honestly, the funniest commercial now, commercials now are the insurance commercials. But what if I could tell you that God will provide a hedge of protection about you? My friend, that would be invaluable. There is nothing in this life that I could want more for my family than that God would guard them. That God would watch over my wife and that God would watch over my children. Is there anything more comforting to know that even though you can't always be tracking their phone and even though you can't always know where they are, God will watch over your family? This is not Brother Andrew making this up, by the way. This is God's promise. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And then the Bible says, except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. The Lord's promise is that he will build it and he will keep it. Amen. Secondly, I want you to see not only the Lord's promise, but the Lord's building plan. The Lord's building plan. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but here at the church lately, we've been able to build things out of wood a bit more frequently. We built the little stage right up here in front, the nativity scene, uh, or like the 
faux nativity scene. And then later on when we had our journey through Bethlehem, we built a much nicer nativity scene. And then uh, many of you have asked about the arrows. You say, Brother Andrew, who made those arrows? And I want to say to myself, or I want to say to you, well, that was definitely me. But I'm sorry to tell you, it wasn't me. We've been able to do this more recently because Brother Charlie came on staff. And Brother Charlie's great at working uh, with, with tools. And uh, he's a wel- he was a welder by trade before he came on staff here. So he knows all there is to know about cutting to dimensions and making sure the angles are right. And so I have helped Brother Charlie on almost every one of these projects. But it's funny, we'll go to, uh, we'll go to Home Depot. And I appreciate Brother Charlie, he's such a humble guy, but we'll be sitting there and say, hey Andrew, what size nails do you think we need? And I'll look at him and I'm like, Charlie, whatever you think. And uh, he'll say, hey Andrew, what, what do you think? Do you think we ought to get this kind of wood? Or I mean, what, usually the only decision making that I make in it at all is I look at the price tag. That's really all I'm there for. Every other decision I put in Charlie's ballpark, that's his arena. And then we go over to the house, you know, we go over and build most of the stuff at the farm and we'll be in the farm and and, uh, he's measuring, he's cutting. And, you know, I told him the other day, I was like, Charlie, he's trying to build these arrows, I think it was. And I was like, Charlie, you just tell me when you need the monkey wrench and I'll hand you the monkey wrench, okay? Because you're much better at this than I am. You see, Charlie actually takes paper and he'll draw things out before he ever does it. That's not how I do things. I just buy plenty of wood. <laughs> and, uh, but Charlie will draw these things out and he always goes into a project with plans. Did you know that uh, a, a godly home is not an accident? Amen. It's planned out. And it's not our plan, by the way, because I I sought a lot of advice when I became a parent. A lot of advice from people that I really, really respect and think are great parents. And guess what? All of them were different. And when you start listening to all these different voices, man, you can get confused on what truly is the right way. God has a plan for the way the home is to be built. So we'll look at, first of all, this evening, the roles of the husband. I'm sure somebody's getting mad at me in this point. At some point, in this point number two, someone will get mad at me. But understand, this is not the way that I planned it. This is God's plan for the home. And here are the roles of the husband. Verse, uh, we'll find the first role of the husband is that he would lead his family. And I can sense it in the room I feel like present now is like an amen in the heart of every man. Amen, Brother Andrew. I'm going to lead them. I mean, I'm the leader. I'm the man. I can grow hair in places I not grow. I'm the man. I mean, that I lead. I'm a top A. Have you ever noticed that everybody thinks they're a type A? I don't think that's the case. If everybody's type A, We just, I mean, nobody would be there to follow. I mean, surely there's some people that are type B's. But even if you are a type B, the Bible says that you are to lead your home. And this is how you are to lead your home, by submitting. Now that's a word that we throw at our wives when we're angry at them. When we want to win the argument, you better submit. 
But the reality is, just as the wife is to submit to the husband, the husband is submit to the Lord. The Bible tells us this. This is not me making this up in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 3. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. Husbands, the reason our wives don't want to follow us is because we're leading in the wrong direction. If the Lord is our head and He is leading us. Have you ever heard the phrase that you got to learn how to follow before you can lead? And that's never been more true than as a husband leading his home. Husband, if you don't know how to lead by following the Lord, you're leading in a place you don't know where you're going. The husband leads by submitting. But what we do is we want to we want to force them to lead. And it's kind of like every once in a while when I'd act up when I was younger and my mom would need me to get my attention. She'd grab me by the ear and pull me where I needed to go. And unfortunately, that's the way husbands visualize their leading of the home. Listen, woman, you're going to go where I tell you to go. Listen, kids, you're going to go where I tell you to go. But that is not at all the case. You know what I've learned? When I want to voluntarily follow my mother, there is much more peace in the location when we arrive. Look, husbands, if you want your wife to want to follow you, follow the Lord. You'll arrive at the destination with much more harmony. It's the husband's role to lead, but be worth, be worth following if you're going to lead. Not only, should you be, not only should you lead the home, you should love the home. You cannot study the role of the husband without finding that you are a picture of Christ in your home. The Bible says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. Husbands, if you study the ministry of Christ, it was not one of dictatorship. It was not one of orders. It was one of love and mercy and grace. And I believe, husband, that it is your role to lead like Christ led. We are to lead our homes. We are to love our homes. And then thirdly, we are to learn about our homes. Here's what we fail to do. And I'll just tell you right up front, I'm guilty of this. What husbands fail at the most is learning where their wives' uh, limitations are. See, we all have limitations. And one wife's limitations aren't the same as another wife's limitations. All women have different limitations. But, and I'm not just criticizing the women here. I told my wife before we ever got married, I said, listen, I'm dumb. And, and don't expect me to become not dumb when we get married. I've been dumb my whole life. I'll continue to be dumb. I mean, we all have limitations, but husbands, the Bible teaches in 1 Peter chapter 3, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. You know what that is? Understanding. Dwell with them according to knowledge, something that is learned and now you know and can apply. Giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Look, the Bible teaches that if we're going to be the type of husbands we need to be, we must learn where our wife can no longer do it and we need to step in and help her. It is the role of the husband. 
Don't criticize your wife because she's not like someone else's wife. See, what we always do is we always uh, compare our lowlights to somebody else's highlights. We see another person's wife out in the community. We say, oh, man, she just seems like she's always busy. She's always doing. She's always working. Man, she just she just loves the Lord with all of her heart. Why can't you be more like her husband? I'll say, by the way, we should not covet our neighbor's wife. But but listen, we always like to see we see our wives in her. We see our wife in her worst moments and compare those moments to someone else's wife's best moments. We all have limitations and a wise husband will learn where his wife's limitations are and not criticize her for that but learn she's a work in progress and the lord not like you're progressing her like you're going to learn her something she is learning how to be the wife and mother that she needs to be by following the lord we got to learn this husbands we are to lead the home and love the home and learn the home and that's the roles of the husband Secondly, I want you to see the roles of the wife. See, this passage even mentions the wife. The Bible says in verse number three, the fruit of the womb is his reward. It's hard for a man to have a womb. Thank God. You see, the wife is mentioned here in this passage. She's just as much an important piece of the puzzle as the husband is. But the roles of the, the wife are this. Number one, that they should support their husband. See, we don't start with submit, we start with support. The wife is to help her husband and encourage her husband. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, Likewise ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not in word, they also may without the word be one by the conversation of the wives. In other words, wife, it is God's plan that your husband would be the spiritual leader of the home. But by the way, God's plan does not always happen on this earth. And by the way, by the way, that doesn't surprise God. Not all the time will your husband be the spiritual leader that he needs to be. That does not dismiss you from your responsibility of supporting your home and being the spiritual influence in your home. It is God's will that our wives would be godly and that they would influence our children for the Lord. You say, I just wish my husband was more spiritual. I just wish my... I'll tell you right now, there's an epidemic for a lack of spiritual men in Christianity. Godly men that love the Lord with all their heart and would charge hell with a water pistol. That's the kind of men we need. But there's an epidemic right now. No man wants to stand up. No man wants to be like Joshua and say, Choose ye this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's no men like that. But, but I want you to understand that spirituality is not a prerequisite for submission ideally your husband would be incredibly spiritual but that is not the case in everybody's situation in the word of god or modern day america you see timothy was raised not by a godly father but by a godly mother and a godly grandmother a grandmother you see we must understand that someone else not fulfilling their role in the home does not dismiss us of our own personal responsibility There's not going to be any tag teaming at the judgment seat of Christ. 
You can't just tag him in and say, now you get on him for a little bit, God. We will all stand accountable for the works that we've done. Husbands, I wish, or wives, I wish your husbands were spiritual. We need that to be the case. But if your husband is not the spiritual man that he needs to be, why don't you support him? The Bible says that there were even women that could win their own husbands by their lifestyle that they would live. You are to support them. You are to submit to them. Now, don't get all mad when you say this because this is not my plan. This is not something that was devised in 1950s America. This is God's plan. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. It is God's will that our wives would submit to the leadership of the husband. And if you don't think your God is big enough to move an unspiritual man, I want you to read what God did to Pharaoh. You say, I wish my husband was spiritual. Me too. But God has influenced unspiritual men a lot in the Bible. He influenced, I was reading it just the other night in my devotions. He influenced Pharaoh to head right off in the middle of the Red Sea, even though he knew there was a good chance it was going to collapse on him. You see, God can influence your husband to lead you in the right direction. What you must do is submit to your husband as the Lord works in your life. So we ought to support our husband. Our husband, that's weird. We ought to support the husband. Wives, you ought to submit to your husbands. Thirdly, you ought to serve your husbands. Really, this is serve your family. And I want to make a clear distinction here. You are not to be a slave for your family. You are to serve them. The Bible says in Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 31, verse 11, The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do unto him good and not evil all the days of her life. Even when Eve first fell in the garden, it was her that took the fruit first. And God said that he would increase her pain and labor. But he also said this, And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. What is that, thy desire shall be to thy husband? I believe this, the woman's fulfillment, or the wife's fulfillment, a spiritual wife's fulfillment, will be found in the way that she serves and loves and cares for her family. Thy desire will be to thy husband. Look, look, you may have hobbies, you may have other priorities, but wife, never forget that you are to submit to your husband, you are to support your family, and you are to serve your family. The Bible said that Genesis chapter 2 verse 18, God would make man a help meet or a helper. How many of you went to lunch this last week and uh, uh, this, the, the server came around to take your order and, and they said, what do you like to drink? And you say, well, I'll have a sweet tea or I'll have a Dr. Pepper. How many of you got up to help her get that drink? Not, I wouldn't say any of us. Why? Because we go into that restaurant with the expectation that she is to serve us. That's not the way our wives are. Our wives are not our full-time wait staff. Amen. We are to help her as she helps us, as she serves the family. And that goes back to husbands, learn your wives' limitations. 
I don't know about your wife, but mine has some signs when she starts uh, getting a little short and like the kids have been on her. It's, you know, have you seen Jurassic Park when the T-Rex gets close and the, the vibrations occur in the water and everything? Oh, no, what's... Amy gets a bit stompy a little bit. That's okay. But we gotta be, got, we got to be wise. And we've got to understand that we all... The family unit is meant to work together and, and flow, not, not to this person carries more weight than this person, where help meets for the purpose of a godly home. Not only the role of the husband, not only the role of the wives, but thirdly, the role of the parents. See, we have different roles for our uh, responsibilities as we serve our children and by the way, we have a lot of young couples in our church that have children or new, uh, have new children or uh, are having children. Man, I can't encourage you enough to study what the Word of God says about being a good parent. But the Bible says here in verse number 4, As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. God compares children to arrows. That's unique because I consider myself somewhat of an archer. I like shooting my bow and arrow. In fact, I'd rather hunt with my bow and arrow than I'd rather, uh, than, than I'd rather hunt with a gun. I mean, I love bow hunting. I, I love shooting my bow. I'll go out there for hours at a time just shooting my bow at a target. I love archery. So when God compares children to arrows, I think that's very unique. Here's two, two conclusions I think you can draw from this comparison. Number one, children must be carefully shaped. Amen. And we're not talking about days when you could go buy Easton arrows off the rack. I mean, there were no gold tips or beamons back then. There was no blood spore arrows that you could just go buy a six-pack. No, 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 no. This was every archer was responsible for crafting his arrows. I watched the other day as a, a native uh, of, a, of a culture that's uh, very third world, and they live way back on this river, as he made arrows and the process that he went through and the time it took to craft just a single arrow, it took a big commitment to do. I think that's why the Lord compares our children to arrows is because they take time to craft. Arrows are not grown, they are crafted. I've never seen an arrow tree. I've never seen where you could go and just pick one off and shoot it out of your bow. That's not the way it works. It starts as a very rough piece of wood, but slowly but surely, the, the archer whittles his arrow down and, and polishes that shaft. And even sometimes there's flame involved to harden that wood. Seems kind of appropriate that there would be some trying times in the life of a parent. But that wood is meant to be hardened so that when it impacts its target... It's there and it's not going to break and it's not going to collapse. Hey, by the way, parents, that's why you got to invest time in teaching your children God's ways and the ways of the Bible is because one day they're going to hit that target and they're going to hit somebody that's going to stand in opposition to them. Teach them now so they're prepared for that day. Children are like arrows. They must be carefully shaped. The Bible says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Nurture and admonition speak of education. It speaks of rebuke when necessary. But by the way, we're to love our families as Christ loved the church. So parents, we ought to also forgive our children when they screw up. 
Proverbs chapter 29, verse 15, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Kids ought not raise kids. I'm all for kids having friends. I'm all for teenagers having relationships. But parents, the teenagers or the kids that you have ought not spend more time with other children than they spend with you. Kids have no business raising kids. Children must be carefully shaped, but I want you to see children must cautiously be guarded or guided. Children must be cautiously guided. Did you know that only arrows that start at the target end at the target? You've got to shoot it at the target, but if you start wrong, you'll end wrong. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, the Bible says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. You may not be able to control their actions when they get 18. That's why you've got to make sure the actions are appropriate ages 0 to 18. Listen, you've got to start your children off. So here's my question, parents. What are you aiming at for your children? If I were to pull your kids, I were to ask your kids, what would be your family's aim? Because you've got to aim at something if you're going to hit it. You don't just luck out and hit the target. What are you aiming at? Well, for a lot of families, I'll just tell you right now, fathers are aiming to vicariously live through their children's sports accomplishments. Mothers are aiming so that their, their, their kids actually never grow up. They want them to stay with them all the time. By the way, in order for the arrow to hit the target, you've got to let it go. Did you know that? It's remarkable, I know. I once dropped my quiver out of the stand. By the way, I did not kill a deer when that occurred. In order for an arrow to arrive at the target, you've got to let it go. Let it fly. And see if the Lord doesn't allow the years of effort and toil and struggle. See if those days when you're actually aiming at something and you're teaching your children to sing songs of worship and to read the scriptures for themselves and to know what it means to have a personal relationship with God. See if all those days of labor don't pay off when the arrow's released and out of the home. Train up a child in the way that they should go and when he is old he will not depart from it. I want you to see not only the role of parents, not only the role of the father, the role of the mother. Notice the roles of the children. I've got good news, teenagers, uh, younger kids in this room. Y'all have the simplest job there is. And you say, that's just like Brother Andrew to just boil it down as if we don't have anything on our plate. No, I think God knew you would have a lot on your plate. You see, adults don't as much have to deal with... uh, 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 emotions. I mean, y'all go through changes. I mean, I remember being a freshman in high school and my feet were about six foot two themselves and I was five foot eight, skinny as a rail and I couldn't even run up and down the basketball court. I was figuring out my body. I didn't know, man, and then these beautiful things began to like kind of make my complexion, you know, have a lot of contrast. You know, my face was white and everything else was red on it. It was wonderful. I loved acne. It was great. And man, nothing I did would make it go away. I just loved those years. And you're, you're figuring out how to deal with social situations. Uh, 
How many parents want to, now this is kind of a tough deal because some parents loved high school, but I know I don't want to go back and deal with high school drama anymore. Good grief. Oh my, Betsy's dating Billy. And it's just, man, I don't want none of that. I'll never forget. I think I dated one girl in high school. Good grief, the drama that caused. I, I don't want no part of that. But our teenagers and our children deal with that on a daily basis. By the way, they deal with peer pressures and they're learning how to deal with these things. And so it's not a slight on our children that God would say, here's your responsibility. Honor and obey. That's, that's not like God giving you somehow a lesser job. That's God saying, you've got a lot on your plate. Do these two things. Obey your family and honor your parents. Listen, teenagers don't have to deal with mortgages. Uh, teenagers don't have to deal with breadwinning in most cases, although I have known the teenager that did. Uh, teenagers don't have to deal with the pressures of a workplace. And, and we look back at those days and we're like, man, I wish I could go back to those days where I didn't have a mortgage. But by the way, your teenagers are thinking, man, I can't wait till I can work and make my own money. It's funny how adults desire their youth and the lack of responsibility, and they desire our age and the actual presence of responsibility. We just covet what we don't currently have. Let me just say this, teenagers, coming from an old guy who used to, you know, deal with you guys. Let me say this. Enjoy your years of freedom now. And, and there's an older guy there that will say, one day the mortgage will come. One day you'll have to, you'll have to breadwin. One day you'll have kids, which is awful and good too, but it's tough. <laughs> one day you won't be able to leave out of the house to go on a date. Because you have all these responsibilities. And the responsibilities are good. And children are a heritage of the Lord. I mean, this is a blessing. But enjoy the freedom you have now. And while you enjoy your freedom, obey and honor. Obedience always brings honor to the Lord. Obedience is never wrong unless the thing that you're obeying is doing wrong. Your parents are there to help you. Your parents are there to guide you. And I have even seen God use people that were not saved to raise godly young men and women. You say, how is that even possible? I don't know. We could probably, we could probably ask some folks around our church who've seen the same thing. How God can use these homes. But it is never, never wrong to obey and honor your parents. The roles of the children. So the Lord has a building promise. The Lord has a building plan. And I want you to see thirdly, the Lord has a building pleasure. Verse number five, the Bible says, Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. In context of this passage, the Lord is saying, Happy is the man whose quiver is full of children. I think that if you look at this passage, you'll quickly see that uh, in order to have happiness, your quiver must be full of, pre full of prepared arrows. L listen, don't miss this. A quiver full of knotted, roughed arrows don't help anybody. They're not effective in accomplishing any goal. If the arrow's crooked, it will not shoot straight. So happy is the man with an arrow of, 
a full quiver of arrows, not roughed out timber with a point on it. So as we prepare, and you say, Brother Andrew, I don't really want that many kids. Did you know quivers hold all different uh, amounts of arrows? I personally have a five arrow quiver on my bow and arrow. I've had other bows and arrows with four arrow quivers and six arrow quivers. My dad happened to have a six arrow quiver. That's why he has me, Gene, Dave, Laura, Darla, and Mandy. <laughs> you see, my father is a lunatic like we talked this morning. He has a six arrow quiver. I have a three arrow quiver. Look, your happiness is not derived in the amount of kids. And I think you can apply this first. A man's life uh, consisteth not in the things that he possesseth. Listen, happiness is not found in the amount of kids you can have. Although in the mission field, it helps to build a church and get your numbers up on a newsletter. (laughs) But listen, the Bible is not here saying happy is the man that has a ton of kids. Because I've seen people with kids that didn't serve God that were downright miserable. The Bible is saying happy is the man that has his children prepared to accomplish the work. Happy is the man who invested the time to polish the arrow so that when the arrow was shot, it arrived at its destination. Listen, happiness can be found in a family that is working and functioning as God would have it function. The Lord works. And the Lord gives not only happiness, but the Lord gives peace. Notice in verse number 2. In this idea of working in the home, laboring in the home, verse number two says, it is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Verse number two is saying you can do all the work you want to do. You can stay up late, you can wake up early. You can go to as many soccer tournaments as you want to. You can go to as many music recitals as you want to. You can do as much as you can for your family. But it is only the Lord that gives peace in terms of family raising. It only comes from God. Listen, the watchman stays awake, but if he doesn't do it with the Lord's help, he stays awake in vain. Listen, the man that builds a house, sure he might build a house, but unless he builds it with the Lord, uh, he's doing it in vain. And it is through the Lord that we arrive at peace and harmony in the home. Man, I've been in some homes where peace and harmony were not the adjectives I would use to describe that place. Mom yells at dad. Dad yells at mom. Kids yell at both. That doesn't sound like a place I want to be. Husbands, respect your wives in front of your kids. You know why? Because the way your marriage is, is the way your kids are going. That's the only marriage they've ever seen. Husbands, if you don't treat your wife properly, your kids won't know how to treat their wife. Or if your daughter views the way you mistreat your wife, guess what? She's going to take that baggage into marriage and she's going to think that's the way all women deserve to be treated. Listen, this is so important. It's too big of a deal for us not to get God in on it. It's too important. We must ask for the Lord's help. We must ask for His blessing. And we must say, Lord, I am not capable of leading my home apart from Your direction and leading in my life. It's too important. Our kids are too important. Our homes are too important. It's been fun to see the Archer family as they've been building their house now. I don't know, man. They've been planning it for probably five years now, Brian. But 
But man, it's fun to see and hear Brian come into work and he'll give us an update on the home. And as far as I understand, if they're not up here at the school or church working, they're at the house working. And uh, they, they have this beautiful house sitting over there on a hill and godly. And uh, man, if you've ever seen that passage of scripture, it says a house or a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. That is the case of Brian's house. I mean, it is up on a hill. It's a beautiful place. And in the recent days, I think they're just about done with it. They're kind of finishing all the stuff up. And you can see the smile come on their face. Like, We're almost done. You know, they're super excited about that. But I heard the other day that Ethan and Addison got to paint their own bedroom. They got to have a part in their bedroom. Brian has put work into that home. Uh, Miss Angela has put work in that home. I mean, that is their home. And they're going to remember all 10 years down the road, Ethan's going to say, yeah, that's where I messed up on the paint in my room. Uh, yeah, Addison's going to look at her room and say, I remember the day I chose this color. How cool is that that they got to build their home? Did you know we all get to build our home? We all get to look back over the years at the mistakes made. We all get to look back over the years at the good times we've had. But the Bible's warning is this. Except we build the house with the Lord, we've built it in vain. Tonight, we're not, we're not able to be the type of husbands or wives or parents or children that we need to be apart from God enabling us to be that. One day you'll look back over your life and you'll see that truly that your children were the heritage of the Lord. The family that you left behind, you see, you don't get to leave, you leave your money for someone else. You leave your land for someone else. You leave your house for someone else. But if you have children and a godly family, what you'll see is what you leave behind will stay forever. Because when you're gone, the influence you've had in your children will keep going on. The way you've raised your children will keep going on through their children and their children. That's why children are a heritage from the Lord. Must be careful with the ways that we raise our family. Unless we do it with the Lord's help, we've done it in vain.